Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. So if you're joining us for the very first time, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Nikki Nellis. I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. I have a pretty intense website called thelistareyouonit.com. It's an online e-zine and we list every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. Now, some of you may be thinking a food and wine event, uh, there's a pandemic. You are entirely wrong. There is so much happening in the DC metro area and there are so many ways that you can get out there or stay in there and support what's happening in the hospitality community. So that's the list are you on it.com. We list every event and every promotion that's happening as well. Thanksgiving is coming up. We have over 50 submissions of Thanksgiving offerings, whether you want a turkey, fresh or already prepared, sides, pies, drinks, whatever you want, the DC area restaurant community has it for you. So definitely check that out. You may also know me from Foodie and the Beast, another radio show I do with my husband, David. We just celebrated our 12th year anniversary. And that show's a variety show. It's fast, it's furious, it's lots of food, it's lots of booze, it's lots of fun. But it gave me this fabulous opportunity to now do Industry Night. So Industry Night was originally out of the Line Hotel, which unfortunately, due to the pandemic, has shuttered its radio station, fullserviceradio.org. And I am eternally grateful and so fortunate that Kelly Collis and Tommy McFly of Real Fun DC said, we got a home for you. So Industry Night just recently launched here on Real Fun DC. And this is where I get to do a deeper dive on topics that are more important to me. And today's show is more about giving than it is about getting. And it's definitely more about giving than it is about thanks. Um, during this pandemic, it's really hard to sort of keep gratitude in your heart, right? I mean, I, I am so fortunate. I have a roof over my head. I have internet access. I have a fridge full of food. Um, I'm working. These are things that I am grateful for because I know not everybody is having the same experience that I am during this uh, pandemic. And um, today's guests are all sort of perfecting the art of giving, which I'm so appreciative for. Now, later in the show, I'll be chatting with Mark Bucher. He is the owner of Area Medium Rare Restaurants. And every Thanksgiving, he does like these amazing offers. He sends meals to seniors, he'll fry your turkey, but he's got a new initiative and it's called Feed the Fridge. And we'll get into that later. But first up, we have Bonnie Moore, who is a chef. Uh, she worked with people like Patrick O'Connell at you know, being a little Washington, no name dropping there. Uh, but she's a founding board member of Real Food for Kids. And Bonnie and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about Real Food for Kids because since the pandemic, they have been out there doing so many amazing things, working with chefs like David Gloss and so many others. Um, and she was telling me about the initiatives that they were working on. And she said, I think it would be great if I brought on Chef Tim Moth and Ed Kwiatkowski of DC Central Kitchen to talk about what Real Food for Kids is doing now. And I was like, bring it on, I'm here for it. So in with me now is Bonnie Moore. Hi, Bonnie, how are you doing today? Hey, Nikki, thanks for having us on your show. This is great to be here. Absolutely. So for people who don't know Real Food for Kids, let's talk about what its mission is. Real Food for Kids is a nonprofit that was founded in Fairfax 10 years ago with the mission to make sure that all kids have access to real whole foods. And that's really our mission in a nutshell. I know, but what does that mean? Like, there's so many organizations that are striving to get food to families and food to kids. Um, what, how does your mission differ from anybody else's? Well, pre-pandemic, we had been positive advocates to get real whole foods in school food service across the DMV. Okay, so back when, you say, when you say real whole foods for the uninitiated, yeah. what does that mean? Isn't everything whole foods? It, Is it something I get at Whole Foods Market? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of highly processed pre-packaged food uh, in, in several school lunch programs across the nation. And 
10 years ago, there was a lot less uh, produce and whole grains and things like that. Real Food for Kids uh, started an initiative to get salad bars, for example, in Fairfax County Public Schools. And we have been successful just up until the pandemic. We got 142 salad bars out of 180 schools. And we have a plan to get to the 180 schools as soon as the world heals itself a little bit more. And, you know, what was the pushback on that? Because I, you know, I think we've seen over the years that there are lots of people who think, yeah, if you give kids veggies, they're not going to eat them, right? Kids don't like vegetables. It's sort of this way of thinking. So how were you able to sell the schools and the school systems that it was worth the financial uh, investment in getting fresh whole foods to kids? Well, I think an investment in, the, in our kids is one of the greatest investments that we can make. And certainly an investment in creating a culture of health is, is well worth it. Um, we were able to work with leadership. We've been really good at working across the board with various stakeholders, um, whether it's the school board or principals, administrations and schools. The PTAs have been huge supporters for us and we've engaged students. We've always had a student on our board at Real Food for Kids representing their voice and what they want. And, one of the things that kids want is to be able to choose. So a salad bar was a great opportunity for them to choose. They may not like carrots, but they like tomatoes. They may not like cucumbers, but they like celery. And if they can make their own choices, then the consumption rates go way up. Well, and also, you know, like I think about when my kids were in elementary school and middle school, you know, the foods that were kind of offered looked like airplane food, right? It was like yeah. pre-done. So there's a financial cost to bringing whole foods into schools. How do you guys affect that? Well, no questions. Schools are, are, are strapped um, financially. I, th there's a very low, low food cost on how those meals are produced and, and on how much money is allocated to those. And they are, their hands are tied nutritionally that school meals need to meet certain nutritional standards. And it's pretty challenging. It is pretty challenging. Um, there's a lot of ways around that. Working directly with farmers locally is a huge help with that. And taking back some scratch food. Uh, cooking, Ed does that. Ed, Ed's working with a lot of scratch food in his kitchen. And uh, it, it can be done. It needs a little bit of innovation which has been really fun to work with the hospitality industry alongside the school food industry and share best practices both ways between uh, the, the strict codes of school food and the innovation that you find in so many of the wonderful restaurants across DC. Well, I mean, that's a perfect segue. I wanna get over to Tim Ma. So Tim Ma is uh, a big chef in the DC metro area. Uh, Tim, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell, let's tell everybody like what restaurants you're behind, what you're working on these days and sort of, you know, how you're handling the pandemic professionally. And then we can get into a little bit of what's happening, how you got involved with Real Food for Kids. Sure. Um, so I am the chef of American Sun at Eaton DC and culinary director at Labman Dumplings in Union Market. And then also exec chef at Prather's on the Alley. Um, so and not, so you're not busy at all. You have tons of your time, <laughs> not a lot on your plate. I hear what's happening. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, that was all kind of pre pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, uh, we certainly had to, uh, switch gears a little bit. So, um, the hotel as a whole, Eaton DC, uh, and the food and beverage outlets eventually did shut all of it down, um, in March. Prather's as well. And then dumplings though, we were able to, we, we've actually never shut down. We've gone and just kept trying to recreate things um, to stay relevant from selling toilet paper to making low main meal kits to selling our dumplings. Um, but one of the things that we did try to figure out pretty quickly is how could we use our skill set to actually give back or at least help during the, the onset of the pandemic. And so uh, we partnered, we very quickly partnered in figuring out that like we can make meals for those that need it. And so we partnered with um, World Central Kitchen and then of course, Real Food for Kids, um, which I've been affiliated with uh, since the onset. And I have a personal affiliation in that I actually have three kids in the Fairfax County Public School. 
and their school actually has one of the real food for kids salad bars, which, um, you know, my kids would come home and tell, tell us about the great salad bar, not knowing that we actually had a hand in getting some of that in there. Um, that so that's all. totally keep that on the DL. Like if my kids knew <laughs> that I had something to do with something that they liked, um, then that would yeah. ruin it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we have been. And then I guess we're in the mode now and looking at where we're going because we're, we're, um, we're on the verge of a very tough winter as a hospitality industry. Um, and so I think everybody's kind of in the gear of, you know, where are we going from now and, and kind of looking at that and then looking at how do we get out of this on the, on the flip side of that. Well, I think you bring up a really important point and Bonnie sort of alluded to it a little bit. I mean, you know, and, and World Central Kitchen, Power of 10, like a lot of people sort of figured out that like restaurants already know how to cook right? They already, they're, they already know the business model. They already know how to work on razor thin margins. I mean, this is the industry. So it's such a natural to put it with schools, to put it with places that need food. And Ed, I'd like to bring you in on that. So Ed Krutowski is the director of school food services of DC Central Kitchen. And I swear to God, DC Central Kitchen isn't paying me because Mike Curtin was just on uh, the other week. But and I know, and Tim is wearing the DC Central Kitchen hat. I mean, I feel sure. like Oh my God, look at this. I mean, I feel like every time we say DC Central Kitchen, we should just drink and have a good time. Uh, but Ed, uh, you know, what you do is, is, is a real important arm of DC Central Kitchen that I don't really feel like gets a lot of attention. You know, the other programs that DC Central Kitchen is behind are way more elevated. So tell us about what you do. Uh, I mean, one of the, what I do is help um, DC Central Kitchen with its um, from scratch and locally sourced food um, in cafeteria cooking model. So um, what DC Central Kitchen done as part of its revenue generating arm is um, contracts out with both DC public schools and um, five other private schools for a cafeteria meal service for students in the district. Um, we provide from scratch locally sourced um, as much as possible breakfast, lunch, and supper um, to when we're in the height of it, about 7,000 students a day um, in the district. So really offering them um, a dignified meals, um, like Bonnie was saying, kind of like whole meals, real food, um, real vegetables, um, each day. And how, um, with the pandemic, how the schools, well, schools in DC are now open, some are open, it's a mix. So, but like with the pandemic, yeah. how did you guys make sure that those kids got their meals? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, like a lot of industries, we've had to pivot um, and we've just had to be adaptable and had to kind of respond to our clients' needs, which is, you know, the students and the communities that we serve are primarily in Ward 7, um, although we're also in Ward 5. Um, but, you know, really, our, you know, our dietetic team has done a great job in pivoting and making sure that the students have um, you know, menu choices. We've had to go from like a hot menu to more of a cold menu, more of a sack meal or a bagged, you know, meal. Um, and we've recently introduced um, hot meals. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're able to get a hot lunch um, and picked up at uh, the school. We also have reheating instructions. So we've really had to kind of take our whole model and turn it upside down and come up with new strategies as to how we can get um, our meals to our students in the communities that we serve. And is there greater need? Has the need increased? Uh, absolutely. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think there is, a, there's a need. I think the biggest challenge is getting the word out um, that these sites are open for feeding and, and really, um, you know, kind of leveraging our partnerships within the community with um, groups like Dreaming Out Loud, um, to, to really get the word out to make sure that the, um, the community's needs are met. Mm -hmm. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how all of you commingled to work with Real Food for Kids and how, uh, 
how you're rolling it out and what's happening. So this is Nikki Nellis. We're on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Did you know you can ask Alexa and say, hey, Alexa, turn on Industry Night on Real Fun DC and she'll pop it on. We'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And welcome back to Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'm Nikki Nellis. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, if you're just joining us now, um, we are doing a show about not Thanksgiving, but giving. And uh, later in the show, we'll be chatting with Mark Bucher, who is the owner of Medium Rare Restaurants, who has a variety of giving back initiatives. But right now, we're talking with Bonnie Moore, Tim Ma, and Ed Kwiatkowski uh, about uh, their initiatives that they're doing with Real Food for Kids. So, Bonnie, I want to go back to you. Why bring chefs in? I mean, was that, how did that, how did you get to chefs being a part of this and, and what was what were the initiatives that you were looking to do? Well, David Guas from Bayou Bakery uh, Coffee Shop in Arlington, he, he called us the week before school shut down and said, hey guys, can you uh, come over here for a quick meeting? And I see that I'm going to have to at least cut back hours, cut back staff, and I'm thinking schools are going to close. And my staff's kids rely on school meals. And how are they going to get these meals if there's no school? There's no buses going to school. They're going to have to walk to school to get their meal and then walk home. And not everybody's going to do that. And we know that in a crisis situation, if you reach one in seven of the population that you're trying to reach in a feeding program, you're doing okay. So there's a lot of uh, people that are not able to access resources easily. So David said to us, listen, like we know how to cook um, and you guys know how to organize things. So can we come up with a plan? And we launched Chefs Feeding Families actually two days before schools closed. And we started in our- you, I got the press release like the day you guys launched it. And it was, it was so amazing how quickly you guys went into action. And I mean, yeah. listen, lots of people went into action. I mean, we could talk about all the people who just moved quickly but you know that was such a dire need and you, and you all saw it and um it, it was amazing to see that in action to see it affect those who were going to need it thanks it was really amazing um david had a lot of vision around that and uh, we went from zero to 100 really fast we brought on seven restaurant partners and we were able to span the dmv and serve kids from Montgomery County to Fairfax at 17 different feeding sites. Uh, we rely heavily on individual donations and corporate donations to make this work. And we're able to feed as many kids and families as we have, have the money for. Um, so we, we talked to, we, I'm, I'm a chef and I'm a nonprofit executive director. So I was watching the world on a split screen TV. And on one side of the screen, the movie playing was the devastation of the hospitality movie. And it was a horror film. And on the other side of the screen was the heroic efforts of school lunch workers um, working in a hazardous situation. I don't know how you socially distance in a kitchen, really. Um, and really putting themselves out there to make sure that they stayed safe, their team stayed safe, so that they continue to pump out uh, much needed food for kids and families out there. And I, we had the idea that one of the really important parts of this initiative would be to bring a cook back to work doing what they do really well and feeling good about that. So that was one of our criteria with each one of our restaurant partners. We asked, we'll give you a dollar twenty for food costs, which might be the lowest food cost that Tim Ma's ever worked on. Um, and but we're going to give you a stipend to make sure that you can bring at least one person back to full time employment. Uh, so that's how that really worked and really launched and is still working today. Well, so Tim and Ed, let's talk about that dollar amount. How do you put together meal? I mean, Tim, you work at fine dining restaurants, you know, or even oh, by the way, Nikki, we asked him to do that and make sure that there were at least three vegetables and they had to be fresh vegetables and whole grains, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're a tough client. 
Yeah, no, I mean, listen, you have your standards, I get it, but asking, you know, for less than a dollar fifty to put together a meal and have it be not just healthy, because I think when people hear healthy, especially kids, they think tasteless. But how do you put together a fresh meal that's appealing for a dollar less than a dollar fifty? Yeah, that's that certainly was a challenge that was unexpected where, you know, she was just like, yeah, you get a, you know, let's make like full meals that these kids and families can be sustained on, right, which is the hardest thing. And then, you know, she was like three vegetables and like, you know, let's make it like, you know, healthy and like using good product and like what you do in fine dining. And then, and then she hit us with like, yeah, you get a buck 25 and we were just like, <laughs> Like, I'm not really sure we're on the same page here. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was a couple things, right? You, you kind of leverage your supply chain a little bit. And so you, you find. That, so, but Kim, wasn't it harder to leverage the supply chain? I mean, listen, the vendors in this area, just like the chefs, I mean, Ed, I know you can speak to this too. I mean, the generosity of the food community from the farmers and, you know, the coastal sunbelts and the pro fishes, you know, everybody is ridiculously generous, but yeah. with the pandemic, could they still afford to be as committed in, in their generosity? Yeah, it showed like a sense of community, right? And within the hospitality industry and like actually beyond. So it's like, you know, somebody was giving Real Food for Kids that funding. And then it was on us to also do our part to what we could give, right? Which is like our physical labor and creativity to do so. So, and, and you saw it all the way up and down the supply chain, which was amazing to see. Mm -hmm. And Ed, I feel like you probably had a little more uh, experience with working under uh, budget constraints. So how did you sort of supply your knowledge to everybody? Yeah, I mean, I think Tim brought up some really great points, but at DC Central Kitchen, we're used to, you know, some narrow financial margins and school foods, the reimbursement rate in particular is very narrow. So, um, you know, our procurement department did an amazing job of just reaching out. We, you know, typically use about 28 different farms locally um, and other organizations to kind of fund both our, you know, school foods program and our community meals program and so um, that group really did a fantastic job and like Tim and Bonnie were saying that like th there's a lot of um, you know well-being out there and you know from our community meal side donations of food to our school food side you know farmers that we've worked with at the past that you know has seen their you know their connections with other restaurant industries sort of lessen while we were kind of now kind of buying more. So they were happy to kind of sell to us at a more reduced cost. So um, I think it was kind of, it just showed how well we're all connected and how well we need just to kind of work together to um, support one another. So Ed and Tim, how did you guys collaborate on the meals? Like what, what did the meals look like? I mean, and were there specifications to the nutritional value or calorie count? Like how specific did you have to drill down? Uh, I mean, I can start, um, but with, you know, our school foods program, for instance, we needed to follow like certain guidelines. And so we went from an, a national school lunch program guideline, which is a lot more strict to more of a, um, it's called SFSP, um, but it's, it's more of like a, you know, aftercare program where you're allowed to kind of serve colder meals. So kind of opening that up, having the USDA open that up and extend that until June really helped us then work on our menu costs, um, narrow down our menu. Um, we do a two-week cycle menu, which helps us you know, utilize some of those same products. Um, there's not much waste involved. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that we've done in particular to, to kind of make it work. Mm -hmm. And Tim, let's talk about like what you wound up executing. Yeah, lots of grains, yeah. lots of, I mean, it, it was actually an interesting exercise in food waste 
um, because you wanted to go and use everything of everything that was coming in, right? So from the broccoli florets, to the broccoli stems, to the grains, to, you know, whatever you can grab your hands on. And then I would also say that like at, at the end of this, you know, there's a lot of favors to be paid back at the end of it um, down the line because, you know, there is definitely donated product or um, trying to figure out, hey, can you give me your seconds and let me figure out what to do with the seconds. So it, it was definitely an exercise in resource uh, gathering. But don't you think that that is a tiny, itty, itty, bitty silver lining of this pandemic that like, yeah, use those broccoli stems. Like zero waste was like a buzzword before the pandemic, but it was sort of elitist, right? Like it wasn't thought of as a, a, a cost saving or really functional way to, uh, to affect, you know, food insecurity. And now I think it's, it's, that's changed. That's changed dramatically. To me, it was interesting to see, like, and I, I guess this will segue into, like, the cross-collaboration where, you know, we started to see those economies of scale because we were now producing, you know, between all the programs, over 10,000 meals a week. Wow. And, and when, when you're doing that in repetition, like, we were starting to uh, understand, whereas, like, you know, normally we'll serve, like, 100 people a day. Right. Um, not, not a couple thousands. So it was fascinating to see. And, and that's where you start to really see those lessons um, become effect, uh, like become to come into effect. Well, and also, I think it's a totally different way of working in the kitchen, right? So I mean, I when uh, um, the federal government shut down, I worked in the world central kitchen, I volunteered in their kitchen. And I mean, it was a machine. I was not prepared for I mean, I should have been prepared because obviously you can't, you can't execute the mass quantities that they were putting out without being a machine. But I think that's a real miss for people. I think when people think of charities or people who are feeding those in need, they think they're like in a, you know, a church cafeteria slapping peanut, you know, like there's, I don't think people have the visual of how uh, regimented the programs are. And so Bonnie, you guys have a bunch of new initiatives or things that you were working on pre-pandemic that you're still planning on working out. Um, can we talk about those, like the Chef Exchange program, what's happening with that and how you guys see going into the colder months? Well, the Chef Exchange program has been about the last six months in the making as we've worked with school districts and we've wor worked with hospitality chefs and I, again I just keep seeing the split-screen TV with two sister industries uh, in food that are, are whose mission is to feed people and make people happy and I mean Tim's meals were absolutely beautiful so Tim you did a great job on a dollar 25 when I know you guys were not happy with me but once you got into it you really really got into it every meal was gorgeous like gorgeous food arts quality gorgeous take a picture of it put it on the cover of the magazine okay. um and so how could we get these two industries to share best practices and work together? And one of the things that we do on the hospitality side, maybe particularly at the higher end, is to do a stage or some kind of exchange program. And they're really worthwhile and they can help you, you know, get to the next level in your career. And I thought, well, why don't we do a stage between school food and hospitality and have the hospitality chef go into the school food kitchen for a week and maybe bring some of their people with them and then have the school food team go into the hospitality kitchen for a week and at the end of that make a little movie on maybe kale and make just a kale thriller where kale is just so exciting and then have a recipe that can be served in school food in restaurants and at home and have that be the same recipe and blur the lines between this lane of school food with all of its preconceptions of packaged yuck airplane food right. and restaurant food with all its glitz and glamour and humdrum ho-hum home food. And why can't we just create a culture of delicious, healthy food for kids? I mean, it's so brilliant. And I love the idea of, you know, people who work in the commissaries or the cafeterias at, uh, in the schools, 
you know, don't get the thanks they deserved, you know, the lunch ladies and bringing them into the kitchen, like creating those kinds of partnerships, elevating their worth is, I, I think it's brilliant. As I was saying, uh, you know, I, I think of the lunch ladies and I think of what it must mean for them to be with the chefs and for the, the chefs to be having this open dialogue instead of sort of lecturing them. You know, there was um, like, I, you remember this, I'm sure like 12, 15 years ago, chefs were going into schools and sort of telling them what to do. And I, I just, it didn't change anything because, you know, there wasn't a bigger picture. And it sounds like now there is. I think there is. I, I've had the absolute pleasure uh, thanks to a USDA grant of going around Virginia to different school kitchens. I've been through the whole state, which has been eye-opening, and encouraging taking back scratch food and teaching skills to do that. So I've had some experience with working in school kitchens, and then I just saw this opportunity. And I am definitely a glass is half full kind of girl. I don't think I could do this job without thinking that. Um, and I, I thought that now in, the in this awful, awful crisis that has brought so much hardship to so many people, there really is a cool opportunity on the other side of this to have these industries work together. And I think it's been humbling, I'm sure, to work on a food cost of $1.25, Tim, and David, and, and, and Ipa at Silver Diner, and all the other great partners that we've had in this. And I think that there's um, a respect that's grown out of that for school food, which like you said, Nikki, they richly deserve. They work really, really hard on really razor thin margins um, and not a lot of glory in that. Mm -hmm. So I do think that this program can um, elevate the school lunch workers and have them seen as equal side by side hospitality rock stars like Tim. And I'm very curious to see where it's gonna go. I have, I have the highest hopes. And you should. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I just want to quickly get into Giving Tuesday because there's a lot to give here. Uh, this is Nikki Nellis live on Industry Night. Well, actually, it's recorded. Recorded on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Uh, we'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. And we're back on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Later in the show, I'm talking to Mark Buecher. You know him as the owner of Area Medium Rare Restaurants. He's got a variety of Thanksgiving offerings that give back, but he also has a new initiative called Feed the Fridge. We're going to get into that. And I'm just wrapping up my conversation with Bonnie Moore, Ed Kwiatkowski, and Tim Ma with uh, Real Food for Kids and um, all the good work that they've been doing. So tell me about... Giving Tuesday and what you guys are doing this year for that, or what we well, can giving, do for that. <laughs> giving Tuesday is uh, after Cyber Monday, uh, December 1st, and it is a worldwide day of giving. So uh, we see it as a great opportunity to shine a light on our hospitality partners who have helped us through this pandemic over the last six months, serving absolutely amazing meals to kids and their families and hopefully to bring in some donations where we can open other sites around the greater capital area. There's a number of ways you can help. You can certainly uh, give an individual donation. You could also be a social ambassador for Real Food for Kids. And there's a number of other things that you can check out on our website, realfoodforkids.org. And we would encourage you to get involved in Giving Tuesday. It feels great. Excellent. Well, I wanna thank you all uh, for joining me today and having this very important conversation. Egg Potosky from DC Central Kitchen, Tim Ma from too many restaurants to list, but look him up. To Ed, Tim, what is your uh, handle on Instagram? Oh, at Chef Tim Ma. Okay, great. So if you wanna see all the work he's doing and what he's got going on, that's the greatest place to find him. Ed, is there a way that we can get in touch with you or find out what you're doing? I would just go to the DC Central Kitchen website, um, so dccentralkitchen.org. Great, Ed. And Bonnie, one more time for Real Food for Kids. Realfoodforkids.org. Hope to see you there on Giving Tuesday. Absolutely. Thanks, so I said earlier that Mark Buecher would be on the show. You know him as one of the owners of medium rare restaurants that are all around the DC metro area. And as I mentioned, you know, this show is all about not 
thanksgiving, but giving, and we should all be giving thanks. And over the years, Mark and his company have always done amazing initiatives during the Thanksgiving holidays as a way to be an important part of the community. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for, for inviting me on. It's amazing. And thank you for all you do to help uh, everyone in the industry too. It's, we're all coming together during these times and I feel that you're the fabric that keeps us all together. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, I feel like we're, I do, I hate to take a line from uh, my kids used to watch when I, they were little, uh, high school musical. There was a song called we're all in this together. And I mean, right. Of course, you know, like I feel that I, I feel like, especially those of us in the hospitality industry, have no choice. So, uh, you know, let's just, for the people who don't know, tell them about Medium Rare and your restaurants, uh, where they are, and sort of a little background on them and yourself. Well, we've got three Medium Rares. We've been lucky enough to have them in, uh, we're in Washington, D.C., we're in Arlington, and we're in Bethesda. We've been at this for over 10 years, thank God. <laughs> um, we serve steak and fries. That's all we do, and it's all we've done. We break the mold for Thanksgiving, uh, I'm sorry, we break the mold for brunch, where we do bottomless brunch, we do French toast and things of that nature, but uh, we, we've been part of DC since 2010. Mm -hmm. And for those who haven't been, what's so amazing about Medium Rare is that it's salad, steak, fries, that's what you pay for, fries are delicious, and it's a very, um, it's a, a very fairly priced meal, it's not, hugely expensive, but you have really done community events always. You've always been an important part of the community. Every year you do a turkey fry. Why? Why do right. you? Well, you know, it started out 12 years ago, uh, before Medium Rare even, I was doing another restaurant that I had owned, and I simply said, you know, for my friends, really, that we're going to deep fry turkeys, I said, instead of you burning yourself, burning down your house, or buying all this hot oil, uh, just I'll open the restaurant, bring it in, and I'll deep fry it for you, and uh, you won't hurt yourself. And we had about you know 20, 30 people take me up on it, and it was a long, hard day. And and you know frying 20, you know at that point it was you know 15 pound turkeys, like a big workout. You know lifting 15 pound weights over three or four uh, hours, hundreds of times wears you out. We get done, we clean up. I go to my car to go home for my Thanksgiving, and there's a piece of paper underneath the uh, windshield wiper. I'm like, oh my God, who, who in the world gave me a parking ticket on Thanksgiving after I just broke my back doing all this? And I pulled the note out and it was from a, a woman whose family lived in a shelter up the street and thanked me and my girls who helped me uh, for being able to cook their turkey because every year they get a free turkey, but they have nowhere to cook it or didn't have the equipment to cook it. And I think, well, now we, we can't stop this. We've got to do it every year. And we've latched on to the, um, the various turkey giveaways that happen in the city, whether there's one at Capital One Arena, and there was the old Marion Barry giant food turkey giveaway, and now this year at Shadybrook Farms. And a lot of these folks get these turkeys, they get these Thanksgiving dinners, but they don't have the pans, they don't have the seasonings. Um, they may not even have the ovens, the right ovens to cook in. Uh, so they bring them to us and we cook them for them for free. Um, it has grown over the years. Um, last year we did about 370. Um, and my entire medium rare team rallies behind it. My entire family rallies behind it. And in combination with the folks that need their turkeys cooked, there's a group that wants their turkeys cooked for the same reason that we did it the first year where they just don't want to do the hot oil in their driveway or risk hurting themselves. So we do it for them too. And it's become an amazing event. Usually the parade's on and there's hot cider and people are hanging out waiting for their turkeys to be cooked. And it's a great way for me and my family to kind of give, give back um, and be thankful on Thanksgiving. Um, this year's a little different. Uh, we, we've been faced with some challenges in terms of occupancy and distancing and I can't um, open the restaurants like we normally do and we had to figure out what made sense I got my medium rare staff on the phone and one of my managers says she goes you know Mark this is we have an obligation to do this we can't not do this we need to figure this out 
and I agreed with her. And we got together, we brainstormed, and we reached out to the Washington Nationals, who we're partners with. We have a stand there. And um, they said, yes, whatever you need. And we're going to do the 12th annual turkey fry in center field at Nats Park on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and we, we expect to handle a thousand, if not more, turkeys. And because everyone's think they're smaller Thanksgivings this year. So they're going to be a lot more turkeys for families to, uh, to enjoy. So we're, we're ready. Mark, how are you going to do that? How are you going to fry? Like, are you just going to have hundreds of fryers? Like, wh- how will you do it? Where will you do it? So we're going we're gonna to line, you know, when, when you walk into Nats Park, they've got that main center field gate. And we're going to line behind that gate up with propane fryers. Um, each turkey takes about 20 minutes to deep fry. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask for them to be between 8 and 10 pounds. We do two turkeys at a time per fryer. So we can do six turkeys an hour per fryer. And we have got between the rental fryers we're bringing in and fryers in the stadium, we've got a lot of capacity. That is, um, what a, what a, it's, it's the generosity of it and uh, the community spirit of it, bringing people from all walks of life together um, really sort of epitomizes thanksgiving right like what we should be thankful for um and then you know yes no you 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 hit the nail on the head and nikki everyone has asked about turkey fry has never mentioned that and that's exactly spot on it's one of those days where no one's phones are ringing no one's getting emails from their office nobody's on conference calls Mm -hmm. it's like i'm going to get our turkey fried and they sit they come in and all walks of life people from all backgrounds all ages are just sitting talking to each other and over over the last 12 years, we've had, we have grandmothers that have a, that put a turkey on their lap that come across the city on a bus mm-hmm. that we'll send home in, in an Uber. And we've got people coming in from Great Falls, McLean, and Potomac. Everybody is sitting with each other. How's your family? How's your kids? How's your health? It's the only time of year these folks, a lot of them get together, but they've been doing it now for so long. Everyone looks forward to seeing everybody. And, and it's, it's, just, it's magic. It's magic for my, you know, truth is, it's magic for my children to see. Um, because it's really cool. It's um, it's really cool. I mean, it just sort of tears you up a bit, you know. It makes you think of, I, it's just the right thing to do, and this year especially, it's just so uh, yeah. hard for so many people. So now, over Mother's Day, because of the pandemic, you delivered meals to moms who couldn't, you know, senior moms. Who couldn't see their families and now you're doing something right. similar for thanksgiving so what does that look like for you well we've been we've been delivering elderly meals free elderly, elderly meals um since since this all started before it was even a phase one or a phase two or a phase three um the first thing that came out if you remember was if you're over the age of 70 you just need to stay away from people until we figured this out so they were all housebound so I put a tweet out on March 3rd. I said, if anyone knows of anyone that ate old that needs a meal, we'll send them a medium rare dinner. And we did 10,000 plus meals we put out there uh, to people that needed it. We, we were in a position that we could do it. Uh, we had the uh, blessings of getting some private donations to help us offset some of those costs. Mm-hmm. And um, we did it and continue to do it. For Mother's Day, you know, if your mom was going to be alone, we'll send her Mother's Day brunch and flowers. We did. And then it came time for Thanksgiving, and gosh, I mean, elder, the, we've learned a few things throughout our process, and, and I'm a good listener. And we learned that the elderly have been completely overlooked and overshadowed in this pandemic. They are literally scared to death to go outside. And they're not going to have Thanksgiving with their families. And, you know, there's one meal each year that's impossible to cook for one person, and that's Thanksgiving. <laughs> so we said, we'll do it, and we'll cook for hundreds of thousands, and we'll deliver them to your house um, the Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I've got this band of hundreds of volunteer drivers. DoorDash has generously agreed to make available to us their, their delivery network as well. And we're going to get everyone who asks that's in a in our delivery range uh, Thanksgiving Monday Tuesday Wednesday for re- they can reheat it for Thursday. That is um, amazing, amazing. Now, how do people how do people 
apply for that? How do people find their mothers or fathers or aunts or uncles up for that? Simply just email us their name, address, and a cell phone number on delivery to secretsauceme at mediumrarerestaurant.com, and we take it from there. And if you don't hear from us, they're going to get a meal. If you do hear from us, it means they're outside of our delivery range. Okay, that makes sense. And just quickly, Mark, you've also just launched this Breed Feed the Fridge initiative. Yeah. Um, tell us about it. So this Feed the Fridge um, is basically a series of community refrigerators. Mm-hmm. Um, this came out of our, our feeding el- the elderly, believe it or not, last spring. When school let out, we started getting a lot of calls from um, public agencies, mostly the public schools, saying we have a problem in Wheaton, we have a problem in Silver Spring, we have a problem in Ward 7. Um, the schools are closed, the feeding schools are closed, we need to get these kids meals. They don't have vehicles or access to cars to go to the big World Central Kitchen drop-off points that Jose has been amazing at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're homebound. And we built this system of being able to get meals to an address which the big guys just, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It, it's very hard to do. So we started delivering meals to kids and families that were hungry. Uh, it then, the, it dawned on me, what happens when school goes back in session? Because a lot of these feeding schools aren't open. DC charter schools are not open for meal service. So we reached out to the folks that called us for favors last spring and they said, you're right. So I, my wife and I are watching CBS Sunday morning, and we saw a woman setting up a series of community refrigerators in L.A. for the homeless. And I said, you know what? We could do this for school lunches. Right. And that's what we did. Uh, we went, and I went to all the sports teams who donated me the refrigerators that are still in the concourses, the Coke and Bud Light refrigerators that no one's using right now. Mm-hmm. And we've repurposed them, and we are in the process of installing them throughout the city, throughout Montgomery County, throughout Prince George's County, um, where the kids are. So where they are is where they get the internet. Because if they, if they have food insecurity, right. odds are they don't have internet at home. And they're going to where there is internet to do the schoolwork. So we're going to parks and rec centers. We're going to boys and girls clubs. We're going to public libraries. Um, and we're installing refrigerators. And every day they get filled with between 25 and 100 meals, depending on where they're located. We, we are actually buying these meals from local restaurants. So we're, we're fundraising and we buy these meals from restaurants as a lifeline to keep them going as well. So for any particular restaurant, it's an extra thousand dollars a day no, um, to make lunches for, for, the, for these refrigerators. You know, I'm so fascinated. One of the, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, one of the tiny, 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 itty bitty slivers of silver linings of this pandemic is sort of the recognition of uh, restaurants. They already know how to cook food. They already know, they already have the facilities to create meals. Um, So why wouldn't you incorporate them given that they're struggling now to pay their staff so they can therefore prepare, prepare these meals? Like the Power of 10, Royal Central Kitchen, Feed the Fridge, like all these initiatives have, you know, a similar, it, it's the same thought process. And I feel like that that's not what was happening prior to this pandemic. Well, you know, it, it's, it's a lesson learned to the governments and to the municipalities. Look, we can do restaurants and we know how to make food taste great. Right. And the USDA who issues the guidelines for school lunches does not know how to make food taste great. They just know how to supply food. And well, that's the difference. Also, so they also, their biggest concern is cost, right? So, Correct. and restaurants already know how to work under razor thin margins. Correct. Really? That's the future. It's a win-win. And, and I, right, I think that's where we're headed. I think, I think the restaurant business will never be the same again. It won't be 2019 ever again. I think restaurants are going to need a different business model to survive because we've learned now that it's been survival of the fittest. Um, coming through 2020, if you were not a good business person, um, but you were a great chef, um, but if you didn't prepare your business to go through a pandemic, you're wiped out. So uh, I think- You're taking words out of my mouth. I've said from the beginning that if your restaurant was a house of cards, one card falling during this is all it takes, right? Like that's the deal. Yep. Well, listen, Mark, yeah. you have to so, wrap up. Can you please tell okay. people 
where they can find you, how they can find out more about Feed the Fridge and all these fabulous uh, uh, offerings that you have. Well, first and foremost, email us at secretsauceme at mediumrarestaurant.com. Anyone over the age of 70 who needs a Thanksgiving dinner, we will get it to them. Yeah. Second is, if you want to learn more about Feed the Fridge, uh, feed underscore the underscore fridge on Instagram uh, and feed fridge on Twitter. Uh, we're posting everything there, including links to our GoFundMe page. And if you feel that you want to get involved in your restaurant tour that wants to get involved in our network of restaurants to supply lunches to these refrigerators, you can simply email me at secret sauce, me at uh, medium restaurant.com. Say, Hey Mark, I heard you on the show. How do we get involved? And we will get you involved. We are here to help everyone, not just the kids and the elderly, but also our fellow restaurateurs. Because Nikki, as you started the show, you were exactly right. If we don't take care of ourselves, it's been proven now, no one's gonna take care of us. Right. And uh, we gotta do it ourselves. No, very true, Mark. I really appreciate it. And I wanna thank you, our listeners today, for tuning in. Really important information today on what the DC hospitality industry is doing not just to survive during this pandemic, but also give back, which I mean, I'm always so amazed by this community because, you know, even in the best of times, there are, you know, parts of charities, gift cards. I mean, everybody looks to chefs and restaurateurs to give and they're still giving and it's important for us to give them to them as well. So as I started off this show today, I said this show uh, is about being grateful because Thanksgiving is coming. And for those of you who do have a roof over your head and a fridge full of food, you gotta be thankful for it. And for those of you who are struggling, there are resources out there. Um, and please go to the list, are you on us.com. We have a whole bunch listed out there. Um, I wanna thank you all for listening today and thank all of my guests, Bonnie Moore, Tim Ma, Ed Kwiatkowski, and Mark Bucher, all of them doing such incredible Incredible work during such stressful, stressful times. And I want to thank you, my listeners, for tuning in. So follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'll keep you up to date on all the good stuff and all the delicious stuff that is happening in and around the area and keep you up to date on things. And of course, you can tune in this Sunday to hear me on Foodie and the Beast with my husband, David, at 11 a.m. on 1500 a.m. Always go to the listareyouonit.com to stay up to date on the latest and greatest from openings, food promos, and events happening. Don't forget Thanksgiving, because if you haven't ordered your turkey yet, the time is now. And uh, again, thanks for joining us on Industry Night. Wear a mask, use hand sanitizer, social distance, and please be safe. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. 